G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You know, there are special things about being a Christian believer and the fact that we are all involved to some extent in the mission that God has given to us to go into all the worlds and to preach the gospel. And of course, missionary activity that's been going on around the world has oftentimes settled into a very, very important place. And that is in translating the Bible into the languages of people who've never had access to the Bible before. We're back today with a special guest, Graham Martin, who has spent 50 years as a missionary and his work in Papua New Guinea. And it'll be similar in so many other settings around the world, but Graham was involved in Bible translation. So a focus today on Bible translation. Graham Martin, welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much. Graham, we've had a wonderful conversation in the past and talking about some of the books that you've written, books like uh, one called... Headhunters, another one about wrestling crocodiles and fighting to live. You have some amazing stories of a long and exciting mission career. Now, when I say exciting, I know there would have been very hard times uh, in that career. And one of the things that you've got to be attentive to if you're going to be a missionary in the sense of reaching new people is learning language and translating the scriptures. And perhaps that's changing a little bit in a day of technology, but reflect for us on what it was like when you were translating the scriptures for tribes that did not have the Bible in Papua New Guinea. Really what you've got to do, first of all, you've got to learn the language, and there is no easy way of doing that. And then you've got to learn the culture that that language is part of. But can I say... This is something God gives to you and me. I went to high school. I failed French. I failed Latin. But when I got there, I learned three languages because people are on the receiving end of God's living word. And this is why I was able to learn these languages. You just love talking to people. Now, when you learn a language, you think that this language has got the words that you are in the Bible. But when we came to the word for conscience, they didn't have a word for conscience. They didn't have a word for priest. They didn't have a word for sacrifice. All of these very important words, and you actually had to either create a word with them or that you actually had to make a phrase or a sentence to actually cover all these things. So this is where... You learn the language, you learn the culture where it fits in because you've got to make it real when they start reading it because you don't want them to get the impression this is a foreign story. No, this is a story that is addressing my issues in my culture and revealing to me who my Creator Lord is. You spent 50 years on the mission field in Papua New Guinea and around the region for listeners. 
uh, around that region of Port Moresby, uh, to the north, to the west, to the east, and there were a number of tribal groups in there. These days, when we reflect on language in Papua New Guinea, there's a trade language called Pidzin. And there are also the tribal languages. You were working with tribal languages. Uh, What were the languages you were able to learn and to eventually translate? I learned the Suki language, and it took me six months to learn that language and preach in it. But that was just the beginning, because you're just scratching the surface and you've got to go deeper. And the other thing is, languages are always changing. Then the next language I learned was the Arumba language, and that was an extremely difficult language. They had strange sounds that I had never even heard before, and here you're trying to pronounce them extremely difficult. And then the next language was the Numbo language, and that was took me two years to preach in that language. It was so difficult. And this is where you learn these languages, but the thing you're wanting is you are presenting the Word of God the living word, the written word. Christ is the living word of God and the Bible is the written word of God. This is where I put you under pressure and say if there are sounds in language that we're not so familiar with, uh, are you able to articulate some of those for us? Uh, can you make some of those noises? I probably could if if I worked we'll, on it. We'll allow you to embarrass yourself if you happen to get it wrong, but you, you give us give us a, a little bit of a sample. Can I say they have a KWA sound, and we would say qua. That's what we would say, qua, KWA. But they say nop. And you say, hang on, this doesn't sound like KWA. How do I spell that? Yeah, yeah how do I spell that? <laughs> but this is what we did. You get a national person. They do a basic translation because they know their language. You as a foreigner can never fully know this language. You get a national to do it, and then you begin correcting it, making certain it's theologically all sound, making it certain it holds together. And you've got the basis is done by them with all these sounds covered and all of these crazy ways of writing things, but... You then come in and with your knowledge of the language, you're able to help them. We know uh, when we are reading our English translations of the Bible uh, that someone there in the translation process has made what we understand to be a dynamic equivalent. Uh, In other words, uh, there might be something in the Hebrew or in the Aramaic or in the Greek, and it's put into a way that we understand it here in our Australian English culture. Uh, It's the same way, I imagine, in Papua New Guinea. You're always looking for these dynamic equivalents so that you can communicate. Yes, that's right. You're looking for words that will really present what God is wanting these people to learn, and you're translating as near as possible to the original translation, but you don't want it to be just a literal translation. You want it to be actually something that speaks to their heart. And this is a difficulty. You are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to actually make that word really bite, if you know what I mean. Because can you say you can translate words, but really you're translating meaning as well? And when you've done that translation, the thing that grows out of that is the idea of education. 
people learning to read, learning to write. And if they have something in their own language, you have this opportunity to bring the full gospel of Christ because people are then in their own educational process of learning. They're actually learning from the scriptures. That's right. And they actually say to you, oh, you say it like that, but that's an English way of saying it. We say it like this. And they put verbs in wrong places to us, but it's not to them. It is very, very smart. And when I was in Papua New Guinea myself uh, just uh, two or three years ago, uh, the idea of running out of tribes uh, that were uh, unreached Uh, didn't have the Bible. Uh, That was a good problem to have. And I remember speaking to one mission organization. They were running short of these tribes. You were there when when it was a heyday, uh, when there was a real need for that Bible translation. These days, people are looking across the border into West Papua uh, because there are still many tribes in West Papua who have never been reached, who don't have the Bible in their language. Is this something that sometimes you lay awake at night dreaming about, Graham? Well, let's say I went in last year in June to an area and they had none of the scriptures in their language and it was in Papua New Guinea and these three educated young men said, we want you to translate the word of God into our language. And I said, I cannot do it. You know the language. You start translating from English over into your language. You know English. Let's start there and we pray and ask God to raise up a translator who will come in, work with you, learn your language, and you'll be able to have it in your language. Some insights today into the work of missionaries. We're talking with Graham Martin, a 50-year veteran missionary in Papua New Guinea. He's been involved in so many different dimensions. In an earlier conversation, we talked about his books that are entitled Headhunters or Fighting to Live, one called Wrestling with Crocodiles. We're taking a little bit of time with Graham today to talk about one of the processes that missionaries get involved in when they reach out to groups that have never heard the gospel before, didn't have the scriptures in their language. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking a little bit of time to talk about the bread and butter work of a lot of missionaries with a long-term missionary with a 50-year career. Graham Martin is with us. He served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea back in the days when there were headhunters. He has so many wonderful stories to tell and he's recorded so many of those stories in a number of books that we've been talking about. We've been taking some time to talk about Bible translation today. And, Graham, you've been involved in Bible translation for so long. And there are smaller tribal groups with their own languages. There's a trade language that many, many more people do speak. What about modern technology? What do you see as the likely needs for the future in being able to get the Bible into the hands of people or at least into the ears of people because new modern forms of media create all sorts of new opportunities. There is great opportunities of using electronic work in this regard and there is people up there who are actually recording the scriptures that have been translated and putting them on little SIM cards or other little electronic gadgets and these people listen to them at night and this is one way of doing it. And so this is very important because we need people who can work with radio, work like this, because there's one manager of a radio station and he says, I will loan you my studio to do it. 
we just got to find a person who can read well and read the scriptures for them. And tell me about the culture of the people who'd be listening to that, because the gospel is now so widespread in Papua New Guinea, and families are wanting the scriptures. They're concerned about their young people, about their being raised in an environment which is somehow even reaching into Papua New Guinea with this secularism. And so you've got older Papua New Guineans who want to see the scriptures take a real hold in the younger generation. To use radio, to use other uh, modern forms of communication, that really does have some tremendous benefits. And I imagine that the way that the generations are shaped by the Bible is going to determine the future in Papua New Guinea. There's a great need of the Bible because, you see, all throughout Papua New Guinea, the matter of cargo cult is very strong. And they believe, in their traditional way of thinking, that the gospel is where you get money. And they've got it all wrong. And this is where we need the Word of God to explain the gospel is dealing with the major issues of life, of harmony in the community, dealing with evil spirits, dealing with death, dealing with sorcery. These are the major issues. And the Bible overcomes those issues through Christ. Graham, you've spent many years, uh, not only as a missionary in Papua New Guinea, but you've also had some expeditions back into Australia. You've lectured in Bible colleges. Uh, You earned a PhD uh, in anthropology. Uh, These were quite significant achievements. How do you encourage young people who might be thinking about a life of mission endeavor ahead? How do they wait on God to hear a calling that might take young people into the mission fields uh, for the future? First of all, you've got to know God is not a domesticated God. He is a God who is so big that when we meet him face to face, we are shocked by the small image that we have created. He's bigger than all of us, and he is capable of using anybody, any gift that you've got, any skill you have, and using you to actually be a witness for him. And this is where young people... You need to know the culture. You've got to get below the surface and find out how they think because that's vitally important in actually packaging the gospel to fit their culture. Well, exciting years ahead, and I believe many more exciting years for you personally. You are almost 80 years of age, but you are a young 80 How do you feel? I mean, some people must ask you, how does it feel to be almost 80? But I imagine you're about to respond and say uh, you don't feel 80. Is that the case? I don't feel 80. You're only as big as your mind says. And Moses began at 80 years of age. So, in other words, there is tremendous opportunity if you're willing to step out and stick your neck out for Jesus. And you're taking time in your latter years to write. You want another generation to capture some of the spirit that you've been able to see and that you've been able to uh, express in your own missionary life. Uh, The books that I've mentioned that you've written, but there's a lot of other titles too and ones that you've got coming out soon. Uh, Tell us about what you're writing. There's one that I've called Craving for Joy. And this is what everyone wants, a happy life, but it's only found through Jesus. And you're telling the story of a whole tribe who lived in an area where there was every waterborne disease, mosquito-borne disease in the world. They used to have five 
evacuations a week because of sickness and disease and death there. And these people came to know joy through Jesus in the midst of a horrible area. Well, I'll point people to a website where they'll be able to get a hold of the titles that you have written. I mentioned a number of them, uh, one of them called Headhunters, another one Fighting to Live, uh, Wrestling with Crocodiles, and the other titles that I haven't mentioned, Graham? Craving for Joy. And there's some more as well. I know you're only, you're, you're holding back on the list. This, there's another one called The Word Became Suki, and that is about translation. Okay, we've been talking about Bible translation. If this is an interest for you, you might want to get a hold of some inspiration from some of these books written by Graham Martin. If you Google Graham Martin, you may get to a website which is Train to Teach Ministries Incorporated. It's been part of the mission endeavor called Pioneers, Train to Teach Ministries Incorporated. Uh, Just great getting your insights into such a valuable area of Christian mission. Uh, Graham Martin, thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Can I tell you one thing? Just last September, we trained 73 people how to use computers to actually type up translations in Papua New Guinea. And we did that through two people who came up and taught them. That's so exciting. (laughs) Graham, thanks for being with us. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.